Genesis 29 tonight, and uh, let's begin reading in verse number 1. We're going to read quite a bit of Scripture here tonight, but uh, then I have a simple message for you. Genesis chapter 29, let's begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field. And lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the sheep, and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in his place. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel his daughter cometh with the sheep. And he said, Lo, it is yet high day, neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep, and go and feed them. And they said, We cannot until all the flocks be gathered together, until they roll the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. While he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near, rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel, and lifted up his voice, and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother, and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. And it came to pass, when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him, and embraced him, and kissed him, and brought him to his house. And he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him the space of a month. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the time that you've given us. I pray, Father, that you bless the preaching of your word to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd stir my heart first and foremost. Lord, let it begin in me. And I pray, Father, that each and every heart would be touched with your word tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to preach just a little bit farther than where we read to tonight. But I left off there because that's where we had picked up this morning. And it gives us a little bit of backstory of what's been taking place in the life of Jacob and Rachel and Leah. I'm very interested in what it says in verse number 20. The Bible says, And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Now notice this next phrase, And they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. Now I want to preach to you for just a few moments tonight on the power of true love. Now, before you say, preacher, that's a, that's a Valentine's Day message, or preacher, uh, what can I possibly gain from a message on that thought? I want you to notice tonight four things that the love that Jacob had for Rachel did for the service that he had and rendered toward Laban. Uh, God used this to stir and to comfort and to uh, fortify my heart. 
You know, the thing that keeps us serving God is not our talents or ability. It is not our comfort. It is not our ease. It is not that things are smooth going. Because I'll be honest with you, there's times when none of those things are a reality. We don't serve God because it's easy, amen? Uh, You didn't get out of your uh, bed from a nap and come in in this cold weather because it was easy. You did it because you want to please the Lord. What I've found is this. If we don't truly have a love for the Lord, we won't serve God or live the Christian life very long. Now, I want to remind you that uh, you can love the Lord in the sense of Him being your Savior, but not have an effectual, daily, pragmatic, practical love for Him in the way that you live and behave and obey. But we find that for Jacob and Rachel, it was love at first sight. Me and my wife was talking when we was driving to lunch today about how unusual this chapter and this narrative in Scripture is. And it's fascinating, amen. I, I trust that some of you husbands now that have been married a number of years uh, would be satisfied uh, to labor for seven years for your wife, amen. But certainly you can imagine how taken Jacob must have been with her to commit to do this when he knew her but a month long. I don't know about you, but I think most old boys would have said there's too many fish in the sea for me to do seven years of hard manual labor for this girl that I've only known for a month. He probably would have said she ain't so pretty after all, amen. And yet we find he was smitten with her. He was taken with her. And it changed his willingness to serve and to labor. And what I'm trying to get across to you tonight is the thing that's going to keep us going is if we'll fall in love with Jesus Christ. The thing that's going to keep us serving God, faithful in church, reading our Bibles, praying, it's not just sheer willpower, it's not discipline, it's not organization. All those are good things, but that won't cut it. The only thing that will keep us faithful to God and His house and His Word and the prayer closet is if we love Jesus Christ with all of our hearts. I want you to notice four simple thoughts tonight that I noticed in the reading of this passage. And my intention is not to preach very long. I want you to look back in verses 7 through 10. I've got to give a little bit of backstory after we read this. The Bible says that Jacob said unto the shepherds that were gathered there, He said, Lo, it is yet high day, neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep, and go and feed them. Talking about the cattle. And they said, we cannot until all the flocks be gathered together. Until, and I want you to notice this next word, till they roll the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now, what is he talking about here? There was a communal well out of which they would water all the sheep in that countryside. And they had an appointed time each day where all of the flocks would be gathered together. And here's why they had to gather them all together at one time. Because they kept a great stone upon the mouth of that well. Over and over again in our text, they talk about how they roll the stone from the well's mouth. And uh, whenever uh, Jacob comes up to these shepherds and he sees them, they're just laying about. Amen? Uh, They're just loafing about. And uh, the shepherd in him gets a little bit irritated at their laziness. And he says, listen, it's not time yet to gather the cattle. You have work to do. You have pasture land to carry them to. If uh, if you're not going to get busy, uh, then why don't you go ahead and water these sheep and get going and quit wasting the day? And they look at Jacob and they say, well, we'd love to, but we can't until everybody gets gathered together. Look what it says in verse 9. 
The Bible says, And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. Verse 10, And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Let me say this to you tonight, that true love makes service powerful. Now, I don't know what you read in that chapter and in those verses, but here's what I read. I read that a whole group of grown men were waiting for a few more of them to gather because it took all of their concerted strength. But I read that one fellow smitten and taken with a young lady uh, was somehow able to muster the strength and the power to by himself roll the stone away from that well. Now, you don't have to believe that, but I'll tell you, I do believe that. In fact, the old writer said that it was rumored that Jacob even took that stone by one hand and heaved it off the well's mouth. Uh, Now, you might say, preacher, that's impossible. Well, you've not seen some of the dumb things men have done when they're in love. Amen? Ain't no telling how many thrown out backs and pulled muscles where somebody was trying to lift something or or, or push something or do something to impress a, a young lady. And what I'm saying is this, that for Jacob, because he was smitten with her, he was able to do things and there was a power that he had that he would not have had if he did not love her so dearly. Let's drop this into the spiritual realm and say this, that when we fall in love with Jesus Christ, we'll find out we can do far more than we ever thought we could. And that power is not in and of ourselves. It's not our capability. But I'm telling you that God's power is unlimited. You'd be amazed how God could use you. You'd be amazed how God could use you to witness and to testify and to share the gospel and to serve and to labor for the needs of others. But there has to first be a willingness before that which God desires can be performed. Uh, Paul wrote about this, said there's got to be, and he talked about giving, and he said there's got to be a willingness first. If there's no willingness, no matter what it is in our lives, then there's going to be no execution of that. And how many of you have heard sometimes growing up where there's a will, there's a way? The truth is this. Uh, in some areas, we're not near as capable as we think we are. But in other areas, there's a lot more we could be doing if we were to get honest about it. A lot more we could do. My daddy used to tell me growing up, and this is one of those maxim fireside chat things. He used to say this, son... A woman is the weakest creature in the world until she needs to move her refrigerator and there ain't a man around. And then you'll be amazed how strong they can be, what they can accomplish and what they can do. And the fact is, so many of us, until we're placed in a situation where we either have to serve or where we love the Lord enough that we're willing to surrender and submit unto Him and to do whatsoever He calls us unto, we'll never realize just what God can do in our lives unless we'll submit unto Him. Now, I don't know all the physiology of what took place here, but I do know that something that is seemingly supernatural was accomplished because he loved her. And I believe, I believe that if we'll love the Lord enough to surrender our hearts and minds and bodies and lives completely, that we'd be shocked what God can do with our lives. You say, preacher, I'm not the type of person that witnesses. Have you ever tried? Have you ever just said, Lord, put somebody in my path and I don't really know what to say, but I'll try my best? Or have you waved the white flag before you've ever given God the opportunity to work through you? Listen, I've got news for you. One thing you'll learn about serving God is it's never about your capabilities. It's about your availability. 
It's never about your talents. It's merely about your surrender unto Him. Uh, no telling how many people have said, I could never do that until they fell in love with Jesus and quit making excuses and surrendered their heart and life unto Him and God took and used them for His glory. I believe when we read this passage, we learn that true love makes service powerful. Look down in verse number 18. The Bible says, And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. Verse 20, And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. Let me say this, that true love makes service powerful. But when I read this passage, I find that true love makes service pleasant. If you don't love the one for whom you're doing it, you'll never love what you're doing. I I, I fear that we live in a day where we view ministry and service and laboring for the Lord as though it's some kind of personality uh, quiz. That if we just find what we enjoy and find what fits us, then we'll truly be happy. i got news for you. Ministry involves people. And where there's people, there's headaches. And as long as people are involved, you're going to need a touch from heaven if you're going to be able to enjoy what you do for the Lord. People are going to disappoint you. People are going to upset you. We spend so much time focusing on the imperfections of man that we miss the perfections of Christ. And in doing so, we miss what is the main vehicle and engine for satisfaction and contentment in serving God. The truth is, the only way that you're going to be able to serve God with a right and happy spirit at all times is to love Him unconditionally with all your heart. If you do it because you love people... And I, listen, I'm, I'm, just, I'm speaking as a pastor, okay? And I love everybody in this room. I love everybody that God's ever given me the privilege of pastoring. But I'll just tell you, if the thing that keeps you going is the love of people, that won't keep you going very long. People hurt you. They disappoint you. They walk out. Sometimes they walk in, amen? But the, the fact is this, if you're doing it for people, you're not going to be doing it very long at all. If you're doing it merely for self-satisfaction, and what I mean by that is this, this sense of self-importance. And there's a lot of people that that's really what drives what they do, is they like to feel needed. At some point, your selfishness will outweigh your self-importance, and you'll walk away from it. At some point, you know what will happen? That self-importance will get out of control and you'll say, I'm so important, I don't deserve to be treated this way. And you'll walk away. There's only one thing. And by the way, just mere distractions and discouragement in life. If we only do it when it's convenient. Oh my, this, let me tell you something, this plagues New Testament Christianity today. And I, listen, I'm not talking about the contemporary crowd with the fog machines and the laser, uh, you know, uh, machines. I'm not talking about that crowd that's having a rock concert tonight. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about uh, right-believing, uh, fundamental, doctrinally sound, Bible-believing churches. I'm talking about us tonight. What's plaguing us is we only want to go as far as convenience will take us. And I'm just telling you this. If you're only going to do what's easy for God, you're not going to do much for God. Because much that must be done for God is difficult. And something's got to drive us further.
The truth is, when our service is motivated out of anything except love for God, that's when we become bitter. That's when we become sour. I remember hearing one time Tom Malone made this statement. He said, you know, I can deal with somebody that is, uh, that's nasty if they're getting the job done. He said, and I can deal with somebody that's sweet even if they're not getting the job done. But he said, what I can't deal with is somebody that's nasty and isn't getting the job done. And the truth is this, it's not sufficient just to, you know, so many times we just, we don't want to acknowledge something's wrong. We don't want to acknowledge something's wrong. We just want to keep going. We want to lower our head and keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And one day you'll wake up bitter and angry if you're not careful. I was talking to a fellow one day uh, that had served for many years in a certain position in the church. And I'm not going to share any details other than the narrative because I wouldn't dare betray this trust. But I was talking to this individual and... um, They said they got to a place. They were serving and laboring in a church. They said they remembered standing there while the hymns were being sung and holding a hymn book and shaking. They were so angry and doing everything they could to keep themselves from hurling that hymn book across the front of the church. They they said they had gotten so burnt out, they had gotten so frustrated, they had gotten so discouraged that they just couldn't do it anymore. You know, the truth is this, the answer for that individual and every individual that finds themselves discouraged and burnt out is not to quit. That's what the world tells you. The world tells you, well, you just need to back up. You just need to rest. Hey, what did the Lord say about rest? He said, take my yoke upon you. All ye that are weak and heavy laden, come unto me. I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Yoke is an instrument of service. He says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. In other words, the only thing that keeps us going is to be yoked up to Him. It's not enough just to, just to try to will ourselves and, and, and determine ourselves that we're going to keep going. I'm telling you, you'll burn out doing that. Something else has to take place in Jacob's life. You know what we, should, we find? The re, I mean, seven years, the Bible says it was but a few days. It didn't seem like much. It didn't seem like a big sacrifice. It didn't seem like a drudgery. He wasn't looking around at other people and saying, how come they aren't having to do this? He wasn't looking around at other people and saying, I wouldn't be having to do this if they were doing what they're supposed to be doing. No, instead, because he loved her, he just labored and it was joyful to him. The fact is this, until we fall in love with Jesus, all labor and ministry is going to be a drudgery. And once we fall in love with Him, you know, we find this. Has it ever dawned on you? Paul writes about contentment in the book of Philippians. You know what the the theme word in the book of Philippians is? It's the word joy. Over and over and over again in the book of Philippians, Paul talks about joy, rejoicing in the Lord, uh, fulfilling joy. Over and over and over again, he brings this word joy up. Did it ever dawn on you that Paul wrote the book of Philippians while he was sitting in a jail cell? If there was ever a time in Paul's life when you'd make excuses for him and think it appropriate for him to complain and to grumble and to gripe, but in the midst of all of that, he said, I've learned whatsoever state I'm in therewith to be content. And listen, he's not talking about justice. He's talking about joy and how God has made him joyful. And you know, he went on to say this, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And when he said, I can do all things, that didn't mean I can do anything. It meant I can do all things. There's a difference. In other words, he's saying, whether God puts a heavy yoke upon me or a light yoke upon me, I can handle it because of Jesus Christ. True love makes service pleasant. And then I've sort of preached what I was going to preach, but we're going to preach it again anyway. Look at verse 21. 
And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to him. And he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah, Zilpah, uh, his maid, for an handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so, and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel his daughter to wife also. The Bible says, And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Bilhah his handmaid to be her maid, and he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. You know what I found? True love makes servants, service persistent. You say, Preacher, what do you mean? I don't know about you, but if I had been Jacob, after seven years of laboring, And now he finds out. He gets to marry Rachel immediately, but he's going to have to labor seven more years for her hand in marriage. I think most people would have walked away. He didn't. He marries Rachel and labors seven more years for her hand. Why does he do this? One simple answer. Because he loves her. You'd be amazed what love will make you put up with. Listen to what Paul said about love in 1 Corinthians 13. He uses the word charity here. And he says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Now listen to this. Beareth all things. Believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. There's nothing that true, pure, biblical love cannot overcome when it is placed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Too often, again, let me remind you, we associate our labor and service with the worthiness of those for whom we are laboring and serving. And that's a mistake. Oftentimes, as church members, there's a temptation to associate what you do relative to the commitment and involvement of the people around you. And that's a mistake. i got news for you. Even if nobody does what they're supposed to do, you're supposed to do what you're supposed to do. Even if nobody else does what they're supposed to do, I'm still supposed to do what I'm supposed to do. My job description is not dependent upon the faithfulness of others. My job description is dependent upon the faithfulness of God. And as such, if I love the Lord, I'll find there the strength to bear all things, to endure all things. Now, again, if you say, Preacher, does that mean that we ought to live cavalier and not caring what others think? No, no, no. But I'm preaching to servants tonight. And I'm saying to those of you that are serving the Lord, whether it be in some official capacity at church or whether it just be as we are all called to do to serve and labor for the Lord day in, day out. Hey, ain't nobody in here on the reserve. Amen. All of us are called to labor in His field. The only way we're going to stay faithful is by staying in love with Him. 
You see, there's nothing He could put us through worse than what we've put Him through. There's nothing He could ask of us that's greater than what we've asked of Him. Because of Calvary, His his claim is inexhaustible. He has the right to everything we are and everything we've done and everything we ever have or could possibly imagine to go through. He's got the claim upon it. True love makes service persistent. He just kept laboring and he kept serving. Why? Because he loved the one for whom he was laboring. And the truth is, when we fall in love and stay in love with Jesus Christ, when we make him the Lord of our life and the love of our heart, then we'll find there the strength to keep going when nothing else would keep us going. I want to read one final verse for you, and I'm done tonight. Verse 31. This isn't about Rachel necessarily. And it's not really about Jacob, but we see the hand of God here. The Bible says in verse 31, and this is where we picked up this morning, And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. You know, I found this to be true in life, that true love makes service powerful, pleasant, and persistent. But I've also found this, and this comes from the Godward side of things, that true love makes service providential. He would have never chosen Leah. And yet, because he labored and loved Rachel and continued to serve, he found in Leah a fruitful womb. You know what I see in this passage? I see this, that when Jacob didn't know what he needed, God knew what he needed. He wouldn't have chose Leah, but God through his providence. And listen, that's not excusing the deceitfulness of Laban. That's not excusing just the whole general messed up nature of this home dynamic. But it is to say this, that God is providential overall, and he usurps the actions, be they good or bad, of human beings to exert his will in this world. And he usurped this situation. He uh, used it in concert with his desires, and we find that God came alongside. And listen, Jacob would have never chosen this path, but God knew what he needed. And because he loved Rachel and just kept laboring, God met a need because he operated and served in love. You know what I found is this. If we'll love the Lord and serve Him without reservation, and you know what that does? That puts the reins in His hand. You know what we want to do? We want to go along and double-check double everything God's doing in our life. And we want to question, and we want to give our input, and we want to straighten God out, and we want to give Him all the information He needs, and we want to put our hands all over the situation. But if we'll just step back and say, Lord, I love you and whatever you want out of my life, it's owed unto you. You deserve it. I'll serve you. I'll follow you. We'll find out that God has a grand plan in everything that he's doing. And he can see further down the road than you or I can. If we'll just labor in love for the Lord, God's already got this thing worked out. But he needs us to surrender unto him and to allow him to lead and guide our life. True love makes service powerful. We can do things. If we'll just love the Lord enough to surrender our life to Him, we'll find out that God can do things through us that we could never imagine. True love makes service pleasant. If we don't learn to love the Lord and let that be the engine for our actions, we're going to burn out and get discouraged and quit. True love makes service persistent. You'd be amazed how tough you are when you love the person for whom you are laboring and serving. And then true love makes service providential. If we'll love the Lord and serve Him, we'll find out that God will handle all the unseen details 
and God will bring the best out of our lives. Let's bow together with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. As a musician comes to the piano, listen, you don't have to wait for the first note to be played. The altar's open. Maybe you've just allowed yourself to slip a little out of love with him. Hey, listen, uh, the first thing that happened uh, after the gospel had ingrained itself in those seven churches was the church at Ephesus. They left their first love. The first place that our life is affected is in the love department. When we cease to love him and be as madly in love with him as we once were, then our life begins that downward spiral.